Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, April 30th. You may think there was a lull in the action because the professional two were no big 500 or premier level events like there were last week, but boy, did we have a fun Monday in the tennis world. The NCAA college selection shows for both the men's and the women's tennis brackets in 2019 came out today. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the French Open wildcard challenge coming to an end. We'll talk about all of these fun things. Joining me to break down the action, he is, you know him as a Cracked Rackets contributor. He's on the Great Shot podcast. He's on the Wednesday mini break with Jamie McDonald. I know him as Matt Cracks to Koyak. Matt, welcome back to the mini break podcast. What's going on, Gruskin? How you doing, buddy? You know, when I knew I was recording today's episode, I knew in advance the NCAA brackets were going to come out. I was hoping we'd be able to get me, you, Chris Hallioris for an emergency mini break breakdown. Unfortunately, he is off in Spain doing God knows what. So we have a little commentary from him. You and I were fortunate enough to exchange some text, but just right off the bat, Matt, your thoughts on the NCAA brackets. Yeah, man. I mean, we've been waiting for this for a while now, so it's definitely exciting. Overall, I mean... I like the bracket. I think for the most part, they got the seating right. Um, you know, there's a few things here or there that, that maybe could have been tweaked, but it's hard to please everybody. It's hard to get everything, you know, just right, especially with teams traveling and, and stuff like that. So, you know, overall, just looking at it, uh, you know, quickly, I think it's a good bracket. And I think it's really going to start to get juicy after the first couple rounds once we get down to those final 16 teams or so. Well, let's start here. Let's talk with the brackets. There's no need to talk about anything else. That was the most interesting thing, in my opinion, that happened in the tennis world. You know, I told you in advance, I sent you some questions, which would be the base of what we would be talking about in terms of the NCAAs. The place I want to start, just from a comedy standpoint, you look at some of these brackets, and of course, there are rules. The, uh, the travel distance is, a, is factored into who goes to what region. You can't be in the same conference, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, Ohio State, Cleveland State round one is funny. The funniest to me, Florida, Florida Gulf Coast, Florida State, and UCF all in the Florida region. That's just always hilarious. And then my favorite part of the bracket, Ohio State, Wake Forest, the number one and four seeds respectively. Last year's finalists would have to match up in the semifinals, meaning only one of them would make the finals, meaning we are not going to get a repeat championship. And to me, right off the bat, that's the most exciting thing, Matt. Yeah, that's definitely interesting for me. I would say, you know, with Florida being on the other side of the bracket, that's good for me because I picked Florida. <laughs> so, I, you know, the fact that they're away from both Wake and Ohio State you know, that's interesting. So maybe they can get to the finals. We'll see. Hopefully I can. So my pick looks good. But yeah, man, I mean, I think even, you know, before we get down to those final four teams or so, you know, I'm looking at some matchups that we could see potentially in the round of 16 and even the quarters that could be really juicy, particularly uh, if we get a North Carolina-Southern Cal matchup. That 8-9 seed matchup, I think, in the round of 16 could be super good, um, among other things. So, yeah, overall, it, it's going to be a fun tournament, man. I'm, I'm excited to you know hopefully watch as much of this as I can. It's interesting because with the Super Regionals being in effect, getting a top 8 seed was that much more important come this year. Uh, it's funny you mentioned Florida because they, for their uh, number 16 seed, their round of 16 matchup, they would get to host Tennessee at home, which, as we saw in the SEC tournament, did not go well for the Gators last time. I'm sure when Coach Shelton, Oliver Crawford, and the team saw that draw, there's a little bit of happiness, you know, to get the chance to maybe get a little bit of revenge for that previous result, have another shot at the Volunteers before this season ends, and all the seniors, all the various players go their separate ways, but yeah, you talk about looking at this draw and the most exciting, uh, the most exciting quarterfinal matchups. I think you said it already that UNC USC section there in Ohio State's quarter last year is a round of 16 match. USC came in upset UNC at Wake Forest round one. I remember that match being moved indoors. I went off to I believe Chapel Hill to watch Michigan play UCLA while you got to see that match in person. Yep. 
But even more incredibly, I think the draw gods kind of blessed us because we might get a chance to see an NCAA semifinal rematch from 2017. Earlier than that, Georgia takes on Elon, but they are in that North Carolina first section of the draw. I mean, this Georgia team, we know the talent they have on the roster. We know what they are capable of when they're playing their best tennis, but still... You know, they were never able to beat a Florida, a Mississippi State. I believe they also lost to Texas A&M during SEC play. Uh, you think they have enough talent to give the North Carolina team a th- uh, give them a quick early threat? I don't think so, man. And I was thinking about this before. I'm going to have to get out to that match. It's in Chapel Hill. It's about 30 minutes away from me. So I- I'm going to try to be there. I mean, Georgia, look, they're talented, of course. They can put up a fight, but I think at at UNC, from what I've seen out of this Carolina team all year, I mean, if if their whole lineup is playing, I mean, a healthy Blumberg, Ben Seguin, uh, you know, Brian Cernock, Josh Peck, Bo Boyden, Matt Kiger, you name it, man. I mean, I just think that that lineup is going to be too strong. If everybody's playing and that's the lineup that we get, I just... I don't see a way for Georgia to win it. They'd have to play. I, I mean, there would have to be some some significant upsets that I just wouldn't bank on, especially with the crowd, you know, being being for Carolina. They're on their home courts. I just, it's not a good situation for Georgia. For Georgia, I don't think. You know, it it would be hard to make a case for Georgia at this point, given that they haven't had that breakout win. I saw them earlier in the season. Trent Brideless against Baylor. They lost that match. I believe they lost to NC State that ITA kickoff weekend as well. Mm-hmm. Now, they've come a long way since then. These matches are probably going to be outdoors, and I think that plays a little bit better for them. Yep. Given, you know, their southern school, they like that outdoor tennis. I don't know. You know, this UNC team... They're certainly flawed. You know, they lost earlier in the year to Georgia Tech. They seem in doubles. They have found their teams. They know the listing they want to do, but Blumberg still hasn't been 100% healthy this season. Sometimes they pull him. Sometimes they play him. It'll just really depend on how he's feeling and how that North Carolina t- uh, team is feeling going into the match. It's a certainly it's an interesting region, and, you know, we don't have Chris, and later in the week we'll be doing a GSP breaking down all of our thoughts on the NCAA brackets, the regions to watch, you know, going into the stupid depth that we love to do on that show. But just <laughs> some other quick reactions from you, Matt. Obviously, the Great Shot Podcast first-round matchup that we find juiciest just by default, my Michigan Wolverines taking on Max Fliegner's Dartmouth Green. Now, I don't want to say anything derogatory about either of these schools because I love them dearly, but needless to say, there are podcasts, uh, I guess, just stakes on the line. So we'll be monitoring that one closely. Uh, but just in general, Matt, we, we can do a little bit of reactions, a little bit of projecting, even beyond who's on upset alert. You know, what are the quarterfinal paths that you like best for the top four seeds? What are the, if you're projecting forward, yeah, there may be upsets. It's hard to say this is going to happen exactly. But the matchups you think we as fans should most be looking forward to going into that first weekend and then eventually round of 16 quarterfinals. Yeah, so there's a couple that really kind of stood out to me. I'm looking at the TCU section uh, as a good one. We've got TCU, Harvard, ASU, and Miami. I think that uh, that ASU-Miami matchup could be interesting. I got to see a lot of Miami play this year in the ACC. They were kind of an underrated team. They had some good wins. They've got good players on that team. Their doubles isn't great, I will admit that. And Arizona State, man, I mean, they're 13-13 and 13 on the year. They just barely get into the tournament, you know, at 500. But I just – I've said this for a while, that the talent level on that team is – is just mind-blowing to me. I I just feel like if they put it all together and they're playing their best tennis, I mean, they have a chance to get out of that region. I would put TCU on a possible upset alert. Um, I, I, I would. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I'd expect it. I mean, I think TCU can definitely, you know, advance to the round of 16. But I don't know, man. When I look at it, it's just something about that ASU team. They're well-coached. I've just... I like the makeup of that team. It's just a matter of if they can put it together and and play well that weekend. I don't know. But that's kind of a a foursome there that jumps out to me, uh, you know, just a little bit. And then, I mean, the other one, you already mentioned Michigan-Dartmouth. 
Michigan and Baylor, if we do get that second round matchup, you saw them play earlier this year at Michigan, I believe. This time it would be at Baylor. It makes for an interesting matchup. I mean, I'd still pick Baylor, but I mean, I would say maybe that's slight upset alert. I I don't know. I like Michigan, but I just I think at home Baylor's gonna have the fans out there. Brian Boland coach team. I wouldn't pick against them, but it's definitely one to watch. I'm going to have my eye on that one for sure. Um, but Obviously, that was the first matchup when it came out that I texted you and Chris about because, as you mentioned, Michigan matched up with that Baylor team during the ITA kickoff weekend. They lost that match 4-1, but you look at the lineups and how they've changed since then. Uh, Roy Smith was playing one for Baylor at the time. He didn't finish his match with Seymour. A Shredder, who's going to be playing one singles against Fenty. They did play at two last time. Shredder ended up winning that match 2-6-6-3-6-4. So you look, we have a chance there. I do remember Svenlaw beating Patrick Maloney at 5-4-6. and six, But I think if we're going to win, we, we'd have to do something there. I think Miles Shallot would have to put together a tremendous effort at two. We would have to take the doubles point, which yeah. is something we did in Ann Arbor. So that bodes well in terms of an upset recipe. But that Baylor team coming off of a Big 12 title where they beat Texas in the final. I mean, they're they're certainly playing their best tennis now, and you never want to bet against Brian Boland in the postseason, especially at home, like you mentioned. But I didn't hate that draw. Uh, a, a couple of other things. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Did you have any other regions you wanted to hit on? Well, I was just going to say, as far as the top seeds go, I mean, I... Wait, can, before you mention the top seeds, we should have done this earlier. Do you like the top eight seeds? Do you think they screwed anyone into having to travel for that court or round of 16 match, or do you think they ended up getting it No, right? I don't. I, I think the top eight seeds are absolutely correct uh, when you look at them. Now, the order, I, I thought the order was maybe a little bit off. I mean, Texas at two with Florida at three and then Wake at four. I mean, I don't know. Wake Forest wins the ACC. I feel like, you know— so they, here- Sorry, here's the thing. They were begging to put Florida at two. That's what I can tell from this. The way they had Florida jump Wake Forest for that head-to-head win that Florida had, even though it was a Gojo-less Wake Forest. Right. They were just they wanted Florida. To, they there's no they. No one is actually pulling the strings. I'm just saying to make the most sense of this bracket because there is a lot of turmoil at the top. Florida wins their conference tournament. They go two for sure. I think at that point you slide. I, I agree. Texas is overseed. The way they lost their conference tournament, they get a lot of credit for beating an Ohio State team that was JJ Wolfless in terms of the points boost they get. Right. And I'm not that's not a credit away from Texas. Texas also beat Baylor during the regular season. They made the semifinals of the oh, national Texas indoors, is great. The Big yeah. 12. But I agree with you. I think top eight seeds in terms of the teams, they got it right. I'm happy they threw a top eight seed to USC yeah. instead of giving it to say a third ACC or third Big Twelve team. But yeah, I guess Ohio State 1 makes sense. Wake Forest and Florida being punched together makes sense to me. But I guess if you're going to give Florida at the 3 seed for not winning their conference tournament, you look at the body of work. I guess what Texas put together is enough to bump them to number 2. I mean, I don't wait, know. the thing two, is... 2 through 11, everyone's the same though, right? Yeah, I mean, you look at it though, again, Wake Forest won the ACC, which is arguably the toughest conference in the country and Florida and Texas, they didn't win their conference tournaments. I mean, I know Florida beat them head to head. Um, you know, it just, it, it, that's interesting to me. I'm not, I'm not complaining about it. I mean, I, I don't think they, you know, royally screwed it up or anything like that, but you know, it's just interesting. Um, it's interesting, but overall, like you said, top eight seeds, they got it completely correct. So, you know, from that standpoint, I'm happy. I think they did. They did well enough. And you even look at the top 16 real quick in terms of the teams who are going to host weekend one. I mean, if you are Columbia, who slides in at number 16, given that their strength of schedule, uh, you know, they make a trip. I think they make a Texas swing. But other than that, it's a lot of Ivy League matches. Really happy to see they were rewarded with a top 16 seed because they definitely get to uh, deserve to host and Getting to see them versus Ohio State, if it's raining like it often does, that could be an indoor match for that super regional. I mean, Columbia's got a chance to make some noise. Obviously, Ohio State would still be a heavy favorite there, but glad to see them get a spot. 
In terms of, I, I don't really think any team got snubbed out of hosting. UCLA at 11 makes sense to me. Them versus Baylor could be a ton of fun. We already mentioned the Florida-Tennessee potential round of 16 matchup. Obviously, given their history, that'll be great. TCU took it to Mississippi State at the National Indoors earlier this year, but those are your 7 and 10 seeds, and I'm sure outdoors, Mississippi State would love to get another crack at the Horned Frogs, who really did play so well in Chicago. And then Illinois and Texas, you know, I I heard a fun stat, uh, and this will be a good tangent, that Illinois, uh, I think 0-8 versus top 10 teams this year. You know, they're going to get a Cal team that knocked off uh, UCLA in the Pac-12 tournament. They'd have to beat Western Michigan first, but that would be their way to get to that round of 16. Tough for them to match up with a Texas team that's got a ton of depth, and I think these guys that would kind of expose. I believe they played a really tough 4-3 match at the National Indoors, so Texas would get the chance to host, kind of flip the tables on them. But last tangent on the NCAA thing, Matt, and you can fill in the blanks wherever you want. Did you watch the selection show? Oh yeah, of course. What are your thoughts? I I did <laughs> I did not like it, man. I, I I just to be honest, I not a big fan. I don't know. It, it's quick. It only lasted what about twenty five minutes. I mean, you know, it, what? I don't know. What else are they gonna do? I mean, I I guess I'd rather host it. To be honest, I think <laughs> I think it would be a little more fun. Or you, me and you, I guess both of us, if we were hosting it, it would be a little more fun. But I don't know if they're really trying to have a whole lot of fun with it. I think they're just trying to get the draw out there and, you know, I don't know. It is what it is. I was more excited just to see who was going to fall where in the bracket. So I'm a hard – well, I agree with that, but I think it was a valiant attempt. I love the idea of getting to interview these players while the draw is coming out, hearing from the coaches, but – couple of things, and I'm saying this lovingly, NCAA. Again, I prefaced it all by saying I love the idea of what you did. The execution, though, not its best, and here's why. One, the audio sounded like they were from a submarine. They were literally doing it via FaceTime, but they were broadcasting a FaceTime, so it was secondhand FaceTime, and having done a lot of digital stuff, it was a little scratchy. I mean, they needed Daniel Westhoff and Max Fligner on the ones and twos to adjust those audios because, you know, it literally seemed like Ty Tucker was, like, staring into the abyss when he was doing his interview with Andy Katz. It just got a little scratchy. And look, I love Andy. I appreciate they got a a name, at least someone people will recognize from his coverage of college basketball, someone meaning any college kids or young people who or anyone who follows NCAA basketball, I suppose, who's tuning in. But the questions were a little cliche. You know, he referred to Martin, Joyce, and Hunter Tubert by their first names because I don't think he remembered their last names. And that's always an interesting choice. I thought Oliver Crawford looked like he was in a holding room, like under, you know, watch. It seemed like he was literally been kidnapped and they were forcing him to do it. I thought Brandon Holt was great. We'd love to get him on the cracked interviews because clearly he had a knack for it. I'm not going to review each and every uh, individual interview, but there's a lot of cliche questions. Would have been nice if we had someone who knew the game. Doesn't have to be me and you, but, you know, you throw in Bobby Knight, throw in Chris Halliors, throw in anyone who follows it a little bit more closely. Because the cliche was a little bit over the top. And again, let's get some microphones. Let's get something. I would rather not have them call in and get better audio quality than just some of the awkwardness of those face-to-face encounters. It was, uh, I guess, Westoff, give me a Novak Djokovic sound effect because it was not too bad. Not too bad. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, man. I mean, the good thing is it was only, you know, it was a little less than a half hour. So, you know, it it wasn't like we were... You know, we were into it for that long. So for that amount of time, I can deal with it. But I agree I agree with you. Counterpoint, unlike you, I watched both the men's and the women's show, and it, it did. I mean, it was nice that they put it all together. I really did enjoy that aspect. But How do yeah, you know I, I didn't watch the women's? Because you just said you tuned out after the first 30 minutes. All right. Busted. Come on. Right. Investigative right. reporting. <laughs> this is why I deserve to do the hosting. I can see through the bullshit. Um, but with that being said, let's move on to the professional ranks because there is some great tennis going on on that level. Uh, let's start on the ATP side. Not too many results today, uh, but we do have action going on in Estoril and we do have action going on in, I believe, Munich. I want to start in Estoril because we had a couple of young Americans in play. Uh, let's start with the winners because we're in a good mood. I feel like we're all winners because we got to see that tournament selection show. Uh, Riley Opelka 
plays Pedro Souza, knocks him out seven six six four. He gets his first professional, professional, his first ATP level win on the red dirt. And I mean, in this match, it was just it was a dominant serving performance. It was Riley doing what he does best. He made sixty three percent of his first serves, eighty one eighty four percent of those points, fifty five percent of his second serve points. Matt, do you think the way he's able to dictate on the clay? almost negates he's not a bad mover he's just a fine mover for someone his size and it's always prefaced with someone his size but do you think his power his willingness or it seems desire to misfoot people actually means he's going to be pretty successful on this surface throughout his career and I know sample size right now way too early to see but it seems like all of the signs we've seen him having success at the Bordeaux Challenger on him just seeming kind of comfortable. I mean, getting a win here, not seeming tremendously uncomfortable. It bodes well, right? Yeah, sure. I agree with you. I mean, I think looking at it from a broader perspective, you know, a guy like John Isner, who's about his size, has had a lot of success on clay. I mean, with their serves, they can really get that that kick serve up high with the high bounces on clay. And yeah, no, I mean, it gives... It gives the big guys a little bit more time to set up for their shots, which I think can be helpful as well. You know, a guy like Opelka or Isner. So, yeah, you know, when when you have that much power and you can just hit through the court like that, you know, <laughs> the surface matters. But at some point, if you're just if you're ripping the ball, you're ripping the ball. So, yeah, no, I definitely think Opelka has a chance to be, you know, a, a great player on clay for sure. And and today, you know, let's be fair, he wasn't playing, you know, a dominant opponent. I mean, he was playing a guy that was outside of the top 100 in the rankings, but, you know, still a very good opponent. Um, but yeah, no, it was just a good performance overall from Riley. That's what we want to see. The thing that's most encouraging, he creates eight breakpoint opportunities for himself. Now, he only converts two of those, and you obviously would like to see a little bit better conversion percentage moving forward, but he's putting a lot of returns in play. The way he hits his uh, return so decisively, I mean, he misses a ton of them, and that's frustrating, but we can, you know, finding that line, that's something he'll work on as he gets older, matures, works out his shot selection, but just the way he's able to assert himself, be the one dictating the direction of play. I keep emphasizing that point because I feel like it's important for, you know, I feel like our listeners kind of understand. I definitely understand. Sorry, you guys are smart. The difference between the surface and how that affects game style but when you're able to dictate direction when you're going to be able to be the one whose momentum uh, stays solid you know you're not getting wrong footed you're able to better anticipate where the ball's coming you buy yourself more time on clay I mean that's the entire game right we saw Dominic team buy himself time by being the aggressor against Rafa Nadal last week and it's just that strategy um, becomes emphasized that much more I suppose uh, on this surface, and it's just, it's really impressive from Riley because it's clear now he has the weapons to dictate any match, any surface. Yep, I agree totally. I mean, it's fun for me to watch clay court tennis. It, it's a nice change of pace because you really get to see some good point construction, you know, rather than just one-two punch. I mean, you're going to get that still with big servers and everything, but just overall during this clay court season, I've enjoyed watching it because there's, you know, it's a lot of grinding rallies. Guys are really having to figure out how to win points and it's a lot of fun. So yeah, man, we'll see about, about Riley. He's, he's doing well. Yeah. Completely agree with you. Well, let's move on then to another young player who's having a lot of success that, uh, at least thus far in 2019, Yoshihita Nishioka knocks out young American Mackie McDonald, who became, I think it was the first American since 1999 to make the third round in Barcelona that last week. Unfortunately, today didn't have enough goods to beat Nishioka, who wins the match 6-2, 6-4. Nishioka, I think he's 5-9 at most. We got the chance, obviously, to meet him in Stowe, Vermont. That was awesome. Max Rothman aced him. All right, now that that's out of the way, I just, I just thought the way he was able to survive you know he never let Mackie 
dictate more than three balls in a row without changing direction on him, keeping him uncomfortable. He was able to open up angles for himself, kind of negate Mackey's desire to take balls early and flat by, you know, rising the elevation over the net, buying himself time, forcing Mackey to be uncomfortable. I think Nishioka also did a great job dictating with his return. And you look, Mackey may have made 60% of his first serves, but he only wins 55% of those first serve points, 48% of his second serve points. Uh, lost all four of the break points he faced. Nishioka was just, he was a little bit better. And for Mackey, you could tell, you know, he wasn't able to solidify his court positioning as well as maybe he would have on a hard court. And in the end, that was the difference. Yeah, man. I mean, I just have to say, Nishioka has to be an absolute menace to play, man. I mean, that's Mm. the guy that in juniors, I would have, I would have just hated to play. I mean, First of all, he doesn't. He just doesn't. Why? Because it's a it's a clone of you. No, not even. He's the opposite of me. All I did was grip it and rip it. He makes every <laughs> single ball. I mean, he's he's lefty in addition to his speed and just never missing. I mean, the guy doesn't hardly make errors. He's just. And then you talk about clay court tennis. It's it's going to take somebody that's big and strong that can just rip through the court even on clay to take this guy out and Mackie, you know, 5'10", probably tops. He just, he doesn't, on a certain day, he may have the game to do it. He wasn't quite feeling it today. And, you know, if you're not, then Nishioka is just going to take full advantage, put every ball back, sit out there for however long it takes. And and that's what he did, man. I mean, this is just a guy that come Roland Garros, I don't want to see his name in the draw. If I'm, if I'm in the French open. It was just the way, you know, Mackie wants to dominate with the surf plus one, and Nishioka responds with that second ball. He'll go deep cross court. He'll go high, you know, elevated spin up the line. Just make you uncomfortable, not allow you to really take a big rip at that second ball, or at least that's what he was able to do so successfully today. Now, Mackie, not a guy with a ton of clay court experience as well on the ATP level, so he's still finding his bearings, but yeah, as you mentioned— Nishioka just a tough out and if he can physically stay up you know he's had health issues throughout his career he's not a guy you want to match up three out of five sets with no definitely not I I wouldn't even want to match up with him two out of three to be honest (laughs) especially on clay I would need to I would need to play that guy on a hard court or grass preferably my counterpoint is I'm always trying to get a good sweat in. And if you want to get a good workout, go enjoy the food and esterol. You want to play Yoshihito Nishio because I <laughs> promise you, you'll be sweating through your clothes by the end of that match. But let's play another guy known, or let's talk about another guy known for his tenacity. A guy who had been struggling with injuries, so we didn't get to see him much during the sunshine swing. But he is now back and trying to get some matches on his body before the French Open starts. Alex Dimenauer, who loses today to Zhao Dominguez, 6-2-6-6-2. If you ask me the story of this match, you know, Dominguez was not a bad player by any means, but he didn't have an outstanding weapon. The thing I think he did most uh, impressively is just stayed alive against a Dimenauer who was clearly struggling to find his range. I feel like he missed so many balls today in the net and just was, you know, pulling the trigger sometimes too early, just trying to find himself, uh, trying to hit himself out of tough situations as opposed to the Alex Dimenauer earlier in the year who will just make you hit that extra ball now again this is his first match back from injury I'm not saying everything we saw beforehand was a lie but Matt this is it's going to take him a little bit of time to get his legs underneath him and then I think another thing you know we haven't seen a full season yet out of Dimenuer on the clay and some of the things he did well today I thought he tried to serve and volley a little bit take times away and he couldn't necessarily finish points but he was putting himself in aggressive situations by doing that but the way he plays a flat ball, the way he wants to be, or the way he's so successful when on the defense, on the run, on clay, that's not going to translate as easily, in my opinion, to, or on hard courts, I should have said earlier. I don't think that style is going to translate as well to clay, and it's just going to be interesting to see him adjust in the early portions of this clay season. Yeah, Alex, you took the the words right out of my mouth, man. When you mentioned his flat ball, I, I think on clay his game just doesn't translate that well obviously movement wise it does but the way that he hits his shots 
You said he was hitting a lot of balls in the net. I saw him hitting some balls even long just because he didn't have enough margin, not enough topspin to get down into the court. And, yeah, it's going to be tough because, look, he ran into a guy here that's not even in the top 200 in the rankings, but he was a clay court player. You look at the matchup and it's like you've got a clay court guy and then you've got a hard court guy. And we're playing on clay. So who comes out on top? I mean, you know, it's just one of those things that Demonor is going to have to he's going to have to find a little bit more margin and hit with a little more spin, I think. I mean, his shots are just so flat. It can, he can get away with it on the hard courts. I don't know, man. I mean, injuries or not, I know this was his first match back in a while, so, you know, we can give him a pass on that, but not even talking about that, I just think his game in general, if he's going to be successful on clay, he's going to have to make some adjustments. You talk about his footwork, and again, one match sample size, take it with a grain of salt. Do you think I'm right when I, if I say he's the type of player who slides after the ball and isn't necessarily at this point sliding into his shots? And given how often he wants to recover, scramble to that next ball, it makes it a little bit harder for him, or at least it did today. And I'm just worried that you know his second serve kind of sits very flatly. D- Dominguez was able to run around it, hit forehands, be the aggressor, open up angles for himself. I just worry that... His game right now, you know, his baseline level doesn't provide enough juice, and he's just going to be doing so much scrambling, and it's just going to be tough for him to win a lot of, or win not necessarily even a lot of, but just any free points on the surface. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and we can talk about, you know, a guy that we already mentioned, Nishioka. He's small, moves well, but he hits with a lot of margin. His forehands are loopy. He hits a lot, a lot of, of spin. angle too. E- exactly. It's different yeah. than Demonor. So that's yeah. why you're seeing Nishioka have some success because the the shape of his ball allows him to stay in points longer on the clay. Whereas Demonor, you know, the points are ending sooner because he's not able to stay in those rallies because he's either hitting one into the net, like you said, or he's hitting one a little bit deep, like I saw a few times, because he just doesn't have that topspin bringing it down in the court. So, I don't know, man. No, that's a really good comparison. I like that a lot, and that's a really good point. I mean, we can wrap up on this match there, but for Demonor, just... Um, you know, he won that second set, and that was the set I got to see the most of, and that was the set he was the most aggressive. He was moving forward, cutting balls off, taking time away, so there were certainly glimpses, things I was very happy to see, but again, this is a young guy, hasn't played a full clay season yet on the ATP Tour. It's just going to be fun to see how he holds up physically. Well then, one last thing I want to do with the Esterol draw, you look at some of the matches moving forward uh, into tomorrow. A lot of American, or not a lot of Americans, but fun young Americans in this draw. Francis Tiafo, a finalist here last year, faces Mikhail Kukushkin tomorrow. He wins that match. I believe he matches up with Nishioka, so that would be fun. Uh, Sosa plays Papyrin, Karina Busta, Shardy, Jaziri, Nikola Jerry, Caruso versus Cuevas, Mayer versus Dusan the Deuce Lajevic. Tomich Millman in an Australian battle, and then Taylor Fritz taking on Fokina um, first round. So just looking at this draw, looking into the tomorrow, Matt, uh, you've got Fabio Fognini as the number two seed. You've got uh, Gael Monfils, David Goffin, Stefano Tsitsipas. You know, what are you looking for this week in Astral? Well, I, number one, Stefano Tsitsipas, who you just mentioned, is the number one seed. I want to see if he can rebound Maybe come away with the title here, but it's going to be interesting, man. I mean, you look down the draw, I don't know. I'd like to see a little bit more out of David Goffin. I mean, he's had not the kind of year that that he's used to having. Um, You know, Taylor Fritz in the draw on clay. I hope he can get through a couple of rounds. The matchup that I really want to see is Opelka and Monfils. I mean, that's just going to be that. That's a clash of styles. Opelka is going to want to be going big, ripping balls. Monfils is going to be way behind that baseline, trying to track everything down. I think if Opelka can can get through that one, possibly if he could sneak it out, maybe in a couple of tiebreakers, he could make a serious run in this tournament. Um. You know, Tiafo didn't look great last week in Barcelona, had a tough match against Munar. I don't know about Francis on the clay as well. I mean, it's 
it's going to be tough. I, I'm just hoping some of these guys can make a run. But in the end, when it comes down to it, I'm probably looking for, you know, like a Tsitsipas, Fognini match, maybe in the final. I mean, I know that's chalk. That's the one and two seeds, but... Screams of Matt Stokowiak. Well, I, and that's why I brought that up, because I knew you were going to say something <laughs> about it. But, I mean, I would love to see somebody else make a run, but I just... I don't know. It's going to be tough. I mean, I guess Gael Monfils could make a run. I mean, he could be there at the end. He's had a good year. I mean, he was playing real well back in the hardcourt season uh, back in February. Won a tournament. So... It's a good draw, man. It's a really that good draw for a two. That you're presenting your upset scenarios. You know, the number three seed guy, El Monfils, could actually make it. That speaks to the upsets you like. I mean, yeah, he's a guy. And I'm just kidding, by the way, man. Obviously, but he's a guy. <laughs> well, um, who? Uh, let me ask you. Who else do you have confidence in right now that you could be like, yep, yeah, I'm gonna. I, I think he could get to the final. Okay. Somebody other maybe- than a top four seed. Okay, so Nicolas Jerry, and again, this is not a guy. He's so his game is so predicated on hitting the big first serve and then following that up with a big second shot. So he has to serve well. But he's got Jaziri first round, then his seed, the winner of Mayer and number five seed Deuce on the Deuce. You could see him getting a win there. His seed in that region, number four seed David Goffin, has not had a successful 2019 given that Jari beat Alex Virov a week ago. You could see him making a semifinal run, matching up with a Tsitsipas, let's say, in the semifinals, right? That's feasible. Are you saying that just because he beat Zverev last week? No, Nicholas Jerry has had success on the clay before. I think last year he had that stretch in South America where he made two 250 finals as well, really asserted himself. I mean, yeah, quarterfinalist in Barcelona beat Zverev, beat Dimitrov, so good result there. Uh, in Miami, he lost first round, but still he made, uh, I think, an Indian Wells won a match there. Didn't have them again, this is a guy we've seen have success before. He hasn't had the best 2019 but I could see him doing something of that sort. I also like Fritz getting a Crano boost to Chardis winner if he's able to beat a qualifier in the first round. Taylor Fritz, when he plays well, can hit anyone off the court, so that's going to be fun to see. Would love to see Opelka upset Monfils, Fritz upset Crano boost, we get them in a quarterfinal. I mean, that would be a ton of fun. And then Francis Tiafo, he's got a ton of points to defend here, you know. He gets Kukushkin, Nishioka, potentially Fognini, not the easiest of draws by any means, so... Nope. We'll we'll see what he's made of. It, I, I, there's a ton of fun things to watch, I guess. I agree with you. Yeah, there are. I mean, overall, every match is going to be good. I just, I don't know. We'll see. I, I kind of hope, I'd like to see, obviously, with the exception of the Americans, I would love to see any one of, of the Americans, you know, go deep and, and possibly win the tournament. But if Stefano Tsitsipas could somehow win it, Maybe get some confidence going into Madrid and Rome and then into Roland Garros. I I just, I think it's more fun when he's relevant. Like, you know, if he's one of those hot players going into the, to the slams, you know, we saw what he did at the Australian Open. I think that would be fun. So he's had a, a couple rough tournaments now. He hasn't had, you know, hasn't gone quite as deep as he would like. So if he could somehow win this tournament do some damage at the next couple Masters thousands and then go into Roland Garros confident, I mean, that would be interesting because, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to see him in the draw if he's if he's confident. I should have started with this question. I'm going to ask this to you now every time we record until the event has finished. Given what we've seen out of him so far, Rafa still your prohibitive favorite to win the French? Ooh, I mean, at this point right now, I'm going to say yes However, yeah, like you're going to need to keep asking me because this is something that could change on a weekly basis. I mean, I think Dominic Team right now, I mean, is creeping up and is right there, man. I mean, I'm oh so close to to possibly saying that Team is my favorite, but I'm not going to quite go there yet. Let's wait another week. Let's see how Madrid goes and then ask me again and then you know- we'll we'll revisit that. You know how sometimes in movies there are like panic buttons or buttons you hit to launch the missile and they're in like a glass box beforehand and you have to kind of lift up the glass box covering before you hit the button? I would say in terms of Rafa Nadal, you know, if he's the button and to push the button you're saying he's been dethroned as the favorite for the French Open, Mm -hmm. we haven't pushed the button yet. No, no, no. But the box is open. Yeah, right. It's close. I mean – 
the the hand is moving a little bit closer <laughs> to the button, but it's it's not touching it yet. Here's the thing: had Novak Djokovic displayed even a quarter of the form we expected him to, and there's so much clay season left, so he there's a Djokovic surge coming. There's always a Rafa surge coming in the French season. There's even going to be a Federer sighting later on. So there's a ton of yeah. things that are still unknown. But the way Dominic team has performed, that he's just able to hit any. He's moving so comfortably on the clay. He's comfortable going for any angle, any shot. I really love the way he's hit the forehand short angle to open up for himself in inside out or to wrong foot you inside in forehand second ball combo. I think that's a new little wrinkle he's added, or at least that he's hitting with that much more confidence in. Yeah, You know, because it's three out of five, as you mentioned, not pressing the button yet. It'll be interesting to monitor Nadal's health and just how he looks on the court uh, as it gets closer to that date. But as I mentioned, the box is open. Yeah, it is, man. And I, I just want to say real quick about Dominic Team, and I've said this before, He's, I, I think he's he's guaranteed to win a French Open in his career. I just, I, I think he's too good of a clay court player. At some point, he's going to win that title, if not multiple French Open titles. I just, he's so good, man, on the clay. He loves that surface. His game is absolutely perfect for it. There's no way that he retires before winning a French Open. I just don't see it. And I think it could come sooner rather than later. Yeah, well, that's enough on that tangent. I'm sure we will revisit it multiple times uh, as we get closer to the French Open. Let's do one more quick thing on the ATP note. As I mentioned, there's also an event going on this week in Munich. Alexander Zverev, a guy who I would argue is also destined to win multiple Grand Slams. Yep. Uh, And I'm sorry, I'm going through, I'm eating chocolate chips as I go, so a little bit of acid (laughs) reflex for you. Um, He's the number one seed this weekend. This is a guy who struggled throughout, you know, it seems like since Indian Wells. Thoughts on him kind of trying to play through his struggles. I love it. I do too. I mean, I, I like the fact that he's entering these 250s. He did the same thing a couple weeks back in Marrakesh and ended up losing. So, you know, early, I think it was to to Jaume Munar, actually, mm-hmm. who he lost to there. So this is another one of those tournaments, man. He's, please, please, Alex Verev, please just win this tournament, man. I mean, just, <laughs> you, you got to do it. If he loses, oh, I just, his confidence, I, I feel like that is going to be so low. Counterpoint, number two seed, another guy playing through his struggles, Karen Kachnov. Yeah. If he loses to Kachnov in the finals, I'd be happy with that. I'd be like, these guys are finally finding themselves. Like, that would be the only feasible scenario. But, yeah, I need at least two, ideally three wins from him. Make make at least the semifinals. But if you make that finals, then, you know, the, the shift in trends is upwards because there's still plenty of time to find your full range. Yeah, I don't know, man. Semifinal, I, for me, I don't know if that's good enough. I, I just, I don't know if I'm going to give him a pass. He's three in the world. This guy, he's got to turn it on, man. He's got to turn it on. I mean, it's a 250. He's in his home country. He's in Germany. He's He's got to come out this week, man, on top. I, I just, I'd really like to see him do it. I think it's important that he he wins a tournament here and gets on the right track because he just, he hasn't looked all that great. We talked last week on our episode about Christian Guerin as well. Now, for him, he plays Yannick Madden, a qualifier, and then he'd get the winner, Benoit Perrin, Diego Schwartzman. We may have jumped the gun a little bit by saying, should Christian Guerin expect to make the second week of the French Open? And if that answer is going to be a yes, if that's something that's going to hold true, I want to see him beat Yannick Madden this week. I want to see him beat the winner of Per Schwartzman, make himself a quarterfinal, hopefully yeah. earn himself a match with Alex Zverev. And by the way, that would be a quarterfinal I would love to see. But so that's something I'm monitoring as well. Yep, agreed. Right there with you. Yeah, and then you look through the rest of the draw. Kyle Edmund plays Dennis Kudlow round one. I'm excited about that. We already talked about Kachinov. Um Rudolf Mulliker, a young German player in the draw here as well as a wild card. So we'll get to see him. I mean, Golbus is in this draw. That's always fun. We've got Berrettini, Istamin, 
a lot of great names and in the matchups today only two first rounds played Fuksovic knocked off Sanego 7-5-4-6-7-6 Taro Daniel knocks off Ugo Umber 6-4-6-4 so still plenty of tennis to be played there I guess I'll ask you for a prediction you think Zverev ends up taking this title <sighs> Based on say yes what I've make seen, me happy I, I don't know man I, I, I can't confidently say that no I can't I'm not certain that he's going to do it. I want to see him do it. I think he can do it. I think he should do it. But I don't know, man. The guy, I have to give a quick shout out to my boy Matteo Berrettini uh, <laughs> for winning a tournament last week. He's he's a sleeper, man. I think he could make his way through this draw as well. Good clay court player. I like his game a lot. I'm super high on him. I'm looking for big things. At the end of the day... You've got Bautista Gude in there. I'll go with Zverev, but I, I, I'm saying that with not all that much confidence. I mean, there's guys that could take him out. There just is, man. Benoit Pair, Diego Schwartzman, Garen. I mean, Chequinato, he's the third seed. There's just so many guys in this tournament that it wouldn't shock me if they took out Zverev with the form that he's been in. But it also wouldn't shock me if he just found his game and started to dominate and won the tournament because that's what he should do. So we'll we'll see, man. I'll go with Zverev, but... What are, what are you more confident in, that Zverev pick or your pick for Florida to win the national title? Oof. <laughs> Hard questions at the end God, here. God, man. Uh, probably... With as many good teams as we've seen in college tennis this year, I guess I would say I'm a little bit more confident in Zverev to win in Munich than I am for Florida to win the title. Just because in college, like, you look at those top eight teams, I mean, would I be shocked if Ohio State won the title? No. Wake Forest? No. Uh, You know, Texas, Mississippi State. You look at all these teams, man. They're deep. They're good. It's going to be tough for Florida to do it. I definitely think they can do it, but... Again, there's so many teams that I think could also take them out. So I guess if I had to go with one, give me Zverev. All right. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad it takes reluctant confidence. But when put in that perspective, you do have some sort of confidence in Alex Zverev, and I appreciate that. Uh, let's move real quickly to the Challenger Tour because I know I'm keeping us long here and Jamie McDonald will be frowning on us when he starts his episode tomorrow. We've got a bunch of challengers this week in Mexico, France, South Korea, uh, Savannah, Georgia, and the Czech Republic. A couple quick hitting questions for you. In the Bordeaux Challenger in France, always a fun event, we have Luca Pui, number 32, who has not been able to win outside of the Australian Open this year, Adrian Manorino and Joe Wilfred Sanga all in the draw. Matt, your thoughts on those players going down to the Challenger level and getting a couple matches under their belt? Yeah, I mean, I think it's fine. The, those players know, you know, they know each other and they know what they need better than anybody else. So, you know, if they want to dip down to the challengers, pick up a few wins, get some confidence, you know, play on the clay. I mean, I'm all for it. I'm assuming those players are all going to be entered into uh, Madrid next week anyway. So, you know, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I agree. For Luca Pui, do whatever you can to get a win under your belt. Yeah. Like find confidence wherever possible. Right. And then one other cool thing I wanted to mention in Bordeaux, Marcos Giron, obviously after an Indian Wells result like that, win himself some prize money, gets the opportunity now to travel to France. He's earned, he'll be in French Open qualifying, so he's getting a European swing. He's the eighth seed in this event. Just cool to see him capitalize on his earlier successes, travel somewhere new, play out of his comfort zone, not play the American clay court challengers. Just good experience for Marcos, so really cool to see that. But enough on that challenger. You look at some of the Americans in play on the hardcore challenger in Mexico. Alex Sarkeesian, a winner today over Evan Song. Kevin King will be in play tomorrow. Afaya Ayini, uh, an alternate but in play here, gets in as a lucky loser. Skanderman Suri knocks off former Arkansas All-American Michael Redlicky. I'm not sure if he was an All-American, but he was very good when he played there. 6-4, 6-4. 
Uh, Hustler knocks out Gonzalo Escobar, 2-2. Two two. Ernesto Escobedo will be playing later on in the week. Evan King also in the draw there. So ton of cool tennis there. But then the last challenger I want to mention real quick um, – Obviously, the U.S. Open wild or USTA wild card for the 2019 Roland Garros coming to a conclusion. Savannah, Georgia is where we're at this week. Too many Americans in the draw it's to list, but just some of the results today: Richard over Klein, three and one; Rinderneck over Shane, one and four; Muller over Hassan, six one five seven six seven six; Blanche a winner over Kelly, four one retirement. El Tamarano, a winner, 0-6. Vukic over Kozlov, 2-6. Gonzalez over Arcanada. Erat over Cuevas. Nagel over Varias. Sebastian Corda, 4-0 over Jared Hiltzik. Yevesiev over uh, Ugo Car- Carabelli, 6-4-2-6-6-1. Barros Vera, 4-0. And we've got, you know, so many great Americans still in the draw to play. Chris Eubanks, Ty Kwiatkowski. Uh, Tommy Paul, uh, Noah Rubin, I almost said Emilio Gomez, J.C. Aragoni, and then number one seed, Tennis Sandgren. Now, that was a lot of words, and I'm sorry for boxing you out, Matt, but the USTA wildcard now has come down to this. Tommy Paul, by making that final uh, last week as well, even though he lost to Gomez, has basically clinched himself a thing for Sandgren. He would have to win the tournament and have Tommy Paul lose before the semifinals. Now, given that Sandgren, you know, made a final the uh, the first week, made the semifinals last week, makes uh, has to win this tournament uh, one, Matt, do you think Tommy Paul has wrapped it up? And two, just real quickly, what have you thought about the Americans on clay so far on the challenger level? Okay, to your first question. Yeah, that's a big question and a lot of ranting. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, I do think, I mean, it's Tommy Paul's to lose at this point. I actually wrote an article earlier. I don't think it's ah, been published. clickety clack. Yeah, it hasn't been published yet, I don't think, but it does outline, it goes into a little bit more detail about the uh, the USTA wildcard and, and how that works and things like that. So um, that should be published sometime soon. Uh, but yeah, it's Tommy's to lose. I mean, he's played so great. You won nine matches in a row. Um, and so obviously you said it, it, tennis Sandgren would have to win the event, which I mean, he could do that. I mean, that, that really wouldn't shock me. He's got the ability to do it, but if Tommy just gets to the semifinals, then he clinches it. So yeah, I, I, I'm going to go with Tommy. I mean, I think he's going to, I think he's going to take it and for me, that's that's the most exciting because I want to see what he can do in the main draw of the French Open. I think he loves the clay. For me, I I think that's probably his best surface. Uh, I just I love his game on the clay. He moves so well. He has a clay court kind of game. He's confident on that surface now. So, yeah, man, we'll we'll see. And I can't even remember what your second question was at this point. <laughs> No, that's fair. I deserve that. I guess just in general, it seems to me we've seen Tommy Paul, Tennis Sandgren, and I think uh, for tennis, his ranking reflects it for Tommy. If he's ever able to stay healthy, those are guys who are ready to compete on the ATP level week in, week out, just from what we've seen from them. They seem a cut above. Uh, But my question to you was just in general, what have you thought about the Americans thus far on the clay? Oh, uh, I mean, outside of Tommy's results at the last couple challengers, I mean, not great, to be honest. And tennises, and tennises, to give him credit. Yeah, that's true. I mean, overall, I would just say not great. I mean, I don't love it. Um, There hasn't been all that much success. I mean, especially Mm -hmm. at the ATP Tour level, you know, we were talking about challengers, but it's tough, man. I think there's still an adjustment period that needs to take place, and you know, when it comes to movement on clay, guys like Tiafo and Fritz, um, you can just tell that they're not quite as comfortable as they are on hard courts, you know, and, and rightfully so. It makes sense, but it's just, it's one of those ongoing things that we talk about every year, right? Americans on clay. I mean, it's probably never going to end, but I'm hoping that's why I said I'm excited about Tommy. Cause I think if he does snag that wild card, you know, there's a chance, depending on his draw at Roland Garros, that he could win a round. I mean, I really think he could do that, depending on who he who he draws, of course. If he draws Rafa Nadal, then sorry, it's over, I think. But yeah. uh, The box even, is open, Matt. Hit don't the even, button. Don't even go there. Don't <laughs> even go there, man. I, you would never pick that. You would not pick that upset. And if you would, I don't yeah. know if I, I, don't know if I could speak to you for a while. You're lying. We both know I would do it. It would be joking, but I would do it. Well, that well, right. I mean, I mean, seriously, you wouldn't seriously do it. 
no, I probably no, you, you I wouldn't. wouldn't. I wouldn't. You wouldn't. No, of course not. So, but I don't know, man. These guys, they're, they're look. The clay court season is. It's not short, but it's not super long either. They just need to get through it. <laughs> that one I don't know if I agree with. What? What do you think? It's super long? Uh, it's like three months, right? Because we still – French Open's, what, the end of May? So I guess we've got one more uh, month left. It's like two and a half months. Yeah, I guess. I mean, if if you're going into the tail end of the French Open, but, I mean, half the – you know, we're only down to like, what, eight, yeah, okay, 16 but this players is just a at that point, but – it's hard to see the ball, like on the green clay challenger level, also on the red clay sometimes when it just gets really dirt, dirty. It's just, I don't know. I miss some hard courts when I could clearly tell which direction the ball is going, where it's landing. Did it hit a bump or not? Whatever. But these are all personal rants. Yeah, this is all something for another time. <laughs> I agree with you. Americans on clay. Uh, jury is still out, I suppose. Well, then yeah. let's do one other thing, and I know this podcast is getting long, but this is what happens when it's been a while since we've talked, Matt, even though it's only been a couple of days. <laughs> There's one final thing we do on these Tuesday episodes. We do them every Tuesday. It is Tennis Twitter Tuesday with Alex and friends. Westoff Fliegner, if you could, give me a Tennis Twitter Tuesday sound effect, please. So we'll do this one quick, Matt, because as I mentioned, this episode is long enough already. But cool news on the tennis front. Sloane Stevens now officially engaged to her former boyfriend, now fiancé, Josie Altidore of U.S. Soccer. Matt, is their kid going to fly? Yeah, probably. Have I I told you my theory of the homo lebronis? No. So, you know, there is the Homo erectus, which was the species before us, and there's the Homo sapien, which is what we are. I'm convinced the next generation of human is the Homo lebronis, but I'd also be down with the Homo sloan stevenus because I think her and Altidore are going to have quite an athletic child as well. I mean, it's I, I'm always a fan of athlete marriages because I feel like it's just it's a cool thing. So I'm I'm all about seeing. Hopefully their kid chooses to play tennis because I bet they'd be pretty good. Yeah. Dangerous. I mean that I guess we'll have to be on the lookout in the next what? 20 years. Oh, well, the, we're the we're going to be old, man. The physicality, by the, time, the grace. Who yeah, who wins? By the time their kid is on tour, we're going to be old, man. No, it's going to be their kids, the Federers, Serena's kid. I mean, it's well, just going to be the be next great. generation. It's going yeah. to be it's going to be nice. It's going to be all of them and then end of his prime FAA trying to hold <laughs> on. <laughs> it's going to it's going to be 40-year-old FAA <laughs> against Rogers kids like oh my god. And it's going to be like 43-year-old Alex Vera. We're going to be like is this the year he gets his first French Open? And it's just like eh. I don't know, man. It's like Rafa. Fi- it's like or no. It's like I don't know. Shapovalov finally retired. Maybe he'll have a chance. Um, but yeah, it's stuff like that. This podcast has gone entirely too long. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, then just a couple of quick things, and I promise I'll let you go. Obviously, the Justin Gimmelstab stuff. All that happened with that last week. The fallout is ongoing, and mm. um, you look at some of the big things that come out of it. His seat as a rep. I- on the player rep on the ATP board, uh, he's coming up for election, I think, at the end of this month being May, or at the end of next month being May. Some players have already nominated themselves, or former players, I should say, former American Tim Mayotte, former ATP number seven Olympic silver medalist, two-time slam single semifinalist. Uh, he was on an a- the ATP board from 92 to 98. Danny Valverdu, a former coach of Andy Murray, Tomas Burdich, Grigor Dimitrov has nominated himself. He currently serves in, um, in the auxiliary coach's seat on the player council and then your guy brad gilbert obviously everyone knows who brad gilbert is he has now himself to join the atp player board so it's interesting to see in the fallout of this how many great names have emerged have nominated themselves and if anything good is going to come out of the justin gimmelstab uh fiasco it's that we're going to see people who get to come in provide fresh perspectives new ideas to the game of tennis so i'm kind of excited for for the idea of someone new a new thought process and i guess brad gilbert not exactly a new thought but just fresh blood on the atp player board what do you think oh 100 percent. i agree my vote goes to bg and only bg <laughs> All right, well, then we can leave that there. Um, You know, Twitter has mostly been dominated by Avengers and Game of Thrones stuff, so I've been trying to avoid it to avoid spoilers. So that's all for Twitter Tuesday this week. We've almost hit the hour point. So, Matt, any final thoughts before we wrap up? 
let's get out of here, man. <laughs> well, that's fair. Well, then, one thing I didn't do at the beginning, I will do now. If you've missed anything from the tennis world, although I don't know how you could have after an hour-long episode, go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. As Matt mentioned, he's got a ton of great content on there. Ryan Cardiff, our whole team, doing our best to keep you fans up to date on all things in the world of tennis. If you need more immediate updates, check out our social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. You know the deals. At Cracked Rackets is the handle. If you need more audio content, this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, What the Deuce. We are firing out so many episodes every week to keep you guys satisfied, keep you entertained in what is obviously a long ATP season. I'll also ask you again, it's an ongoing thing, right? A nice little review for us. Leave a five-star review. Leave a comment with your name, Instagram handle, Twitter handle, email, some way for us to contact you, and we will pick one winner every week to win some free CR gear, and I promise you, you will look good in that CR gear. Uh, Those pocket tees made me look very, very good at this past weekend's Ohio State-Michigan match. One of the redeeming moments of the match, because despite losing, people were coming up to me saying, hey, are you the cracked rackets guy? And I had to say, well... Kind of. I guess like Dalton's really the, if you were going to say Cracked Rackets guy, if that's the next Avenger. Uh, actually, I would say I'm that Avenger. Yes, I am Cracked Rackets guy. So always cool to interact with people like that. That was so fun. But any final thoughts, Matt, or are you ready to rock and roll? Ready to rock and roll, man. I, I do have to say, though, that CR gear is fresh. I have some myself. <laughs> you know you know, I rock that CR gear, so... And even better, you want to frustrate your opponent, get a CR shock absorber. I promise the ball will come that much cleaner off your strings or your money back on this free giveaway, guaranteed. (laughs) Uh, So with that being said, though, for my wonderful co-host, Matt Sikoyak, thank you, as always, for helping me steer the ship. For our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who have a f*** of an editing job to do, as always. And for our entire team at Cracked Rackets, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Matt, it really is always a pleasure to get to do this with you, and we'll have to be back on a Great Shot podcast later this week to talk even more college tennis. But for now, what do we say to our fans? That's a break. And we will see you all throughout the week. Thanks, everyone.